Our gospel reading this morning is from John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for the one, for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the Lord with which you have loved me, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would Um, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. And this morning we hear this most intimate prayer of of Jesus. 
on our behalf. And we pray that you would open our eyes so that we might see more clearly in our ears, that we might hear our hearts, that we might believe that your spirit would do that among us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And when, I was a, when I was a little kid, I remember um, daydreaming sometimes about the, the toy that had most recently caught my eye or some kind of gadget. I still love gadgets and sometimes find myself daydreaming about them. Some of you kids are thinking about Christmas coming up. Um, one of my, my sons said to me the other day, he's like, I don't know what I want for Christmas, but it's that time when you start thinking of these kind of things. And I remember, this was probably the early 80s, one of the things that caught my eye that I began to think about was one of those, it looked like a small satellite dish, and you could hold it up and put on headphones, and you could listen to a conversation that's like 100 yards away. And I, and I remember thinking like, man, like this would be unbelievable. All the spying I could do, all these conversations I could listen to, and like as I get older, it's like, I don't want that. Like, I do not, I don't want to know what you're talking about. I don't want to know. But there is this part of us that's, like, curious. Like, we want to know, um, are, am I being mentioned? A- am I being talked about? And there's a sense in which, you know, this prayer, I, I couldn't bear to break it up into parts. I wanted us to hear the whole thing read when we listen to this prayer that's often called the, the high priestly prayer comes at the end of this section that we've been looking at together where Jesus is sort of having this kind of kitchen conversation. You know, those conversations that you have at home where um, you kind of gather around and you tell your children maybe or your friends um, something that's really important. This is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. And at the end of that, he stops and he looks up into heaven and he begins to pray this prayer on their behalf and on our behalf. And I imagine that the disciples, it's so intimate that they may have even been thinking, like, are we supposed to be listening to this? Like, is this the part where we kind of slip out of the room and let Jesus be alone because he's beginning to talk to the Father? That he's, he's, he's praying to the Father. But Jesus wants us to hear this prayer. He wanted his disciples to hear this prayer. He wants you this morning to hear this prayer because he is praying for you. It's hard for us to believe that. He wants us to hear it because he's praying for us this morning. He's praying for the church that Jesus is praying for you. Do you understand that? It's weird to have somebody pray for you, you know? When I was in seminary, I... I used to go and preach at these small little churches in the country, in, in rural Mississippi. And a lot of them didn't have pastors, and so um, they would take seminary students to come and preach and fill the pulpit for them uh, for the morning. Um, I feel sorry for those churches. Uh, but I would, there was one that I would go to pretty regularly, and they had a morning and they had an evening service. And so when I would go there, they wanted me to, to preach at both. And so instead of making the drive back, I would stay for the afternoon um, with a man in the church and his family. And he was a cotton farmer. And after lunch, he would go and retire to his living room, and he had this worn-out leather chair, and he had a stack of books beside it. And he would sit down, and he would take out his pipe, and he would take out his Bible, and he would read, and he would smoke his pipe, And then after a while, he would put his Bible down and he would begin to sit there and pray to himself 
for what seemed like forever. I'm kind of awkwardly sitting in the living room with him, and, and his lips would be moving. And he would pray and pray and pray. And I remember when I graduated seminary, he was there, and he came up to me, and he said, he said, Tim, I pray for you every single day. And there wasn't a bone in my body that didn't believe it. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for his church. He's praying for those that he's come to die for. He's humbled himself. He was sent by the Father into the world, and he's praying to the Father on your behalf right at the point of his death. He's coming to the cross, and he gets on his knees, and he prays to the Father on our behalf. And I want to ask one question this morning. What is Jesus' heart for the church? This is what we get a picture into. What is Jesus' heart for the church? Now, there's a million things going on in this prayer. We could spend a year in this prayer, but I just want to highlight three things. What does Jesus want for the church? He wants you to know how deeply the Father loves you. He wants you to love one another. And he wants you to go into the world with his love. He wants you to know how deeply the Father loves you. He wants you to love one another. It's really simple. And then he wants you to take that love into the world. Let's think about those things for just a few minutes this morning. That he wants you to know the Father's love for you. Listen to these words again. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And loved, I can't comprehend these words, but listen to them again. Loved them even as you loved me. This is all over the prayer. This is throughout the prayer that Jesus is trying to convey, what do I want them to know? What is my heart for the church? What do I want them to deeply believe and to know? I want them to know, Father, that you love them just as you love me. Father, I want to show them how you love them and that you love them in the same way that you love me. This is why you sent me. This is why I humbled myself and came into the world. You see, Jesus wants you to know more than anything, the Father loves you as he loves Jesus. This is the foundation of everything. This is the foundation of of the training that Jesus has been giving his disciples. This is the foundation that he will send them out into the world with. This is the foundation that the entire church is built upon. This is what Jesus wants you to know. Do you know that? That the Father loves you like he loves his Son. How can that be true? If that doesn't stop you in your tracks, are you listening? How can that be true? Listen to C.S. Lewis as as he pondered this. He said... For, for me, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father delights in his son, it seems impossible, a weight or a burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. You see, Jesus didn't come and die for you so that the Father would love you, that Jesus came and died because the Father loves you. It's the reason he came into the world. Listen to verse 21, that they may all be one, 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. What is he talking about? He's saying, this is how the Father loves you. He loves you as he loves me, and I want, if that's true, then I want them to know that they are now a part of us. That they are now a part of the family of God. We talk about this all the time, that you are now a part, you who are in Christ are now a part of the household of God. That you're brought into the family. You see, at the heart, this is at the heart of God. The heart of God is to bring the stranger home. The heart of God is to bring the stranger home. And you see, if you want to see it vividly displayed, just look at Jesus all over the Gospels. That's what we've been doing. I mean, you see, Jesus is the perfect imprint of the nature and the character of God. And what do you see Jesus doing? Jesus is moving towards the stranger. He is moving towards the outcast. He's moving towards the hurting. And he is touching them literally in some, in some instances. That he's speaking words to them that nobody else would speak to them. You think about in Luke 7. There's a a funeral procession going on, and there's this widow. She's already lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son. And as they're going along the way, as she's she's going to bury her son, Jesus, Luke tells us, Jesus sees this, and he is moved. The words are moved with compassion. It's not strong enough, the translation, that his guts are literally turned inside out. God in the flesh is watching a funeral and his guts are turned inside out. And, and I might see that and I might think this is sad and then I'll be like, yeah, but I'm hungry. I'm going to go eat. I'm going to go along my way. Jesus is moved with compassion and he goes to this woman and he just says to her, don't weep anymore. And he goes to her son and he tells her son, get up. Rise up, and, he, and, and the son rises up out of death, and he takes the son and, and gives the son back to the mother. Just a couple of months ago, we watched Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus and weeping at the tomb. Why? Because at the heart of God is this brokenness over the sin of the world, the way that it has separated people from him. And he weeps over it. He mourns over it. He longs to be reunited with us, listen, this is eternal life, verse 3, that they may know you, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Why did the word become flesh the way that John starts this gospel? This is why Jesus was sent, because the Father loves you and he wants to know you. He wants you to know him because knowing him is eternal life. Knowing him is eternal life. The cross did not make you lovable to God. God already loved you. That's why Jesus was sent. And Jesus prays this before he goes to the cross. I want, Father, I want Tim Udodge to know that, I, that you love him like you love me. I want Graham Montgomery to know that you love him like you love me. I want Sarah Davis to know that you love her like you love me. You hear it? He's praying this prayer on their behalf. I want them to know how deeply you love them. God is love. He is the essence of love. 
And Jesus is the exact nature and character of God. And we see Jesus, when we hear him, we eavesdrop on this prayer. And what we hear is love. And this is not the fickle, middle school love that we're used to. That comes and goes. This is the direct, searing, eternal, everlasting love of God that does not let go and does not give up until it has finished completely what it set out to do. Do you hear the words of Jesus every week as we come to the supper? This is my body that is given for you. I'm doing this for you. Friends, do you know the Father's love for you? Do you hear it, that he loves you just like he loves Jesus, is what Jesus asks the Father to show to us. And I know that some of us are sitting there, we might be thinking, but you don't know me, and you don't know what I thought about this week, what I said this week, how I blew up at my wife this week, how I, you know, got so angry that I threw something. I don't know, that, that you don't know how lonely I am and how desperately I want to be loved. You don't know all of these things about me. And you're right, I don't know. He knows. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you did this week, everything you thought this week, everything you said this week, every sin you committed this week. And he loves you and he's moving towards you in love. And Jesus is saying, I simply want them to know that. Do you know it? He came to set us free. But secondly, what he wants us to know and what he wants for for us is that we love one another. And you... The thought that we would know and comprehend the length and the breadth and the depth of the Father's love for us displayed through the finished work of Jesus Christ for us and then hoard it to ourself is incomprehensible to Jesus. That we, that we actually know and comprehend what it means that the eternal, everlasting, holy God would enter into a relationship with us because he sent his son who came in the flesh to redeem us and to bring us to him of all people, people as messed up as we are, for us to know that and then to hoard that love to ourselves is incomprehensible to Jesus. Because really what it's saying is that I don't understand that love very well at all because Jesus' love is always and continually outward-facing. And so Jesus prays over and over again that we might be sanctified in the truth, that he says his word is truth, and being sanctified in the truth of his love for us, that we might be made one. That we might be made one. That we might, what, what does it look like to love one another? To Jesus, it looks like that we would be unified. That we were, there were one body so that we would be one mind so that we would sacrifice for one another, so that we would bear one another's burdens, so that we would love one another. This is how he says it, for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. What does it look like, Jesus says, for us to be one? He says it looks like me being in the Father and the Father being in me. Then he goes on to say that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. That they may be perfectly one. Why? So that the world will look and see this doesn't happen anywhere else. This is supernatural. People don't love one another like that on their own. People who are, who are dramatically different, who come from different backgrounds, who look different, who have different, um, or in different economic brackets. It doesn't, this isn't 
normal. Unity is not easy. It's not, I mean, it's, it's, I can't just stand up here and say to you guys, look, Jesus said, love one another, let's be unified, so go in peace, let's love one another and be unified. There has to be a basis for it, and the basis for it is every, in everything that he's praying, that we have one Father. That we have one Father. You may not have always gotten along with your siblings growing up, but you had to duke it out and you had to stay together because you had one mother and father. We have one father is what Jesus is saying. All of us who are in Christ are his children and Jesus is our elder brother. So unity necessarily means confronting the sin of pride and the sin of superiority when it's found among us. It means finding it and rooting it out. When I think I'm better than somebody else in this room, there is a problem and an alarm should go off in my mind. If I look at somebody else that, that's different than I am and I, and I judge them immediately, an alarm should go off in my mind. Unity means confronting and rooting out the pride of superior, superiority when it's found among us. It means being honest about our cultural snobbery. When I simply think the way that I do things is better than everybody else because it's the way that I've always done things, it's the way my parents did things. It means mourning the fact that 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is still the most racially divided hour in America. Unity means that we are one in Christ, black, white, Hispanic, Caucasian, awkward, extroverted, introverted, male, female, educated, uneducated, dirt poor, filthy rich. That what identifies us is that we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, period. White Christians, that's most of you in this room this morning. Let me talk to you for a minute. As we talk about unity, we have to talk about this. If we want reconciliation in the church, and I know that I do, and I think a lot of you do, if we want this kind of unity in the church in a nation that is so divided, it's going to take a lot of repentance specifically from you. A lot of repentance from you. It's going to take a lot of repentance from me. It's going to look like, it's going to mean looking deeply at our own hearts, and it's going to mean that it's costly, that there's a sacrifice. There's always sacrifice at the heart of love. It's going to mean owning the sins of our fathers and our mothers and owning the ways that those sins have shaped us and shaped our view. It's going to be, at the very least, admitting that that has happened. It's going to be realizing the fact that being born white in this country is being born with a leg up. It just is. It's going to mean talking about this a lot, even when it means people look at you and get mad and say you're being political or you're being too liberal or you're being whatever. This, forget all that, this is about Jesus in the church. It's about the fact that we have the same Father and in heaven we ain't going to be divided. And so Jesus is saying you shouldn't be divided here either. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means that we have to take a little effort. With the, first of all, with the people in this room, we have to take a little effort to love one another. And that means making efforts 
to love one another. And that's really surprisingly simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Because what it means is it starts with us listening to one another. This is one of the reasons in our neighborhood groups we often share stories. We share the story of our life. We talk about what shaped us. We talk about what, how we grew up. Because all of that stuff is a part of what has defined what we love and how we see the world. And we need to understand that about one another so that we can love one another. That's the reason that we do it. It means listening to people who you don't naturally like. Or you might prejudge. You might look at them and you think, yeah, I know them. I can tell just by looking at them. And it means listening to them. And then it means taking some action to meet them where they are. It's not hard to love people that you already like. We're really good at that. Keep doing that. That's great. But it's not hard. It's really hard to people to love people practically who we don't understand, who we don't natural who we're not naturally drawn to, who we don't even maybe like. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not, it's not easy. I have a friend who told a story um, about when he was, he was about six years old and his parents had both um, experienced, they had both committed adultery and, and so their home it was just a wreck at the time. And he had been, from, like, from the time that he could remember until the time he was about six, he was raised by nannies. And he was scared, and he was petrified, and he was lonely, and he was confused, and he said he would just walk through his neighborhood looking for people to play with. And he said that there was this one older woman, it could have been his grandmother's age, who used to always be kind to him and reach out to him, and she could tell, he knew, that that he was sad. And he said one day she invited him in, and and he, he would just sit and talk to her, and she'd ask him about things that he liked. And he said one day he told her, you know what I like? I like fruit cocktail. You remember those nasty things? I guess they still make them. The shriveled up like cherries and stuff like that. That's what he said he liked. And he said the next time he came over to her house in a a crystal bowl was a fruit cocktail with, with whipped cream on top. And he's my age now and he says he says he still thinks about that fruit cocktail. Because that woman was thinking about him. And she listened to him. And she made a point to go, I'm going to meet you in a place where you are. And I'm going to show you tangibly that I'm listening to you and that I care about you and that I love you. Jesus says it over and over again in this final discourse. He says, he washes his disciples' feet and he says, a new command that I give to you, that you love one another. This is how they'll know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Why? Because love of one another is the surest sign that you have a deep knowledge that you've been loved by Jesus. It's the surest sign. But he doesn't leave us there with just loving one another. I'll end with this. He, what does he pray for the church? He prays that we would go into the world then with that love. That as we learn to love one another, as we understand how deeply we've been loved by the Father, that he loves us as he loves Jesus, and then we love one another, that we take that love into the world, that we go into the world with this love. Listen to verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So that the world may believe that you had sent me. 
Why is it important that the world believe that the Father sent the Son of the world? It's the whole reason John has written this gospel. John was listening, and John is now writing this gospel because he says at the very end of it, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him that you might have life in his name. John, the apostle that Jesus loved, he called himself. He deeply wants to love you by telling you the truth so that you might see Jesus. He's going into the world. We're still reading his words today. And it doesn't stop with just love, like I said, within these walls. It's a love that goes to the very end of the the earth, that this is some of the last things that Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven to go into all the world, to the ends of the world, with this good news. That there's this progression in this prayer. It actually, Jesus is, we think, following a model of a high prayer from the day of atonement that a priest would pray that he prays for himself and he prays specifically for his disciples then he prays for all of those who would hear the word of the disciples and come after them and believe there's a lot of defensiveness in the american church today there's a lot of fear there's a lot of talk about our rights maybe being taken away or there's a lot of talk about persecution and i just want to urge you Those of you who know Jesus, don't react to that. Let's instead tell the world about the love of the Father. Let's tell it to our friends. Let's tell it to our enemies. Let's remember that throughout time, the gospel has not just advanced, it has actually flourished in the darkest of days. It has flourished in the darkest of days, and the history is leading to to one place, and no one can stop it because the church will be triumphant because Jesus is already on his throne, and he's calling us to join in that story. This great story that's folding out on time, we're we're just a speck, you know? We're just a speck in that story, but you know that you're loved by the Father. And when you look around this room, you kind of think, what can this little, little group of people possibly do? And then you remember that God loves using really unremarkable people like us to do remarkable things because it's not about us. It's about the love of the Father that is flowing directly out of his heart through the Son to his disciples, now to us who are hearers of his word, and then as we love one another and into the ends of the earth. Let me pray. Father, we... Um, We thank you that you let us in to this prayer. We thank you that you let us listen uh, to Jesus even as he prays for the church. We thank you for the obedience and the passion of your son Jesus that um, he came to seek and to save those who are lost. Father, we know that being a part of your family and being a part of the church is, is first and foremost admitting that we need help, that we are desperately We are desperately broken and sinful. And Father, we thank you that Jesus has come to restore us and to bring us home. We pray these things in his name, in his name alone. Amen.